right. So, I, uh, many of y'all know that I love doing the, the, the Jewish thing, right? And so, um, I try to stay close to that just because it fascinates me. You know, like, like Pastor was saying, you know, get, get a chance to share my heart. You know, the, the more I try to, you know, uh, do other things, the more the Jewish stuff just is like, man, that's just, that's, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. And, and every time I read, you know, something about or learn something about uh, their culture, um, you know, I go, man, that, that just brings that verse to a whole nother level. And, and uh, you know, and I, I try to make sure you all aware of this, that I, I don't want to turn you Jewish. That is not my point. That's not my goal. My goal is to allow you to understand Jesus more and more because he's our example. He's our, you know, uh, the, wh- who we look to to live and, uh, and to be. And so um, to understand him more and to understand the days that he lived in, the, the area that he lived in, the things that were going on, helps a whole lot more to understand him and also to understand the words that he spoke, you know. And, and then even more than that, the words that were all written throughout the entire Bible, uh, you know, because this is face it, when it was written, it was written to Jewish people. So um, to better understand them, to better understand the word. Uh, but it all started, it really under, it started, my, my love for Jewish culture and things like that, it actually started, um, I was working at um, Central, um, Central Assembly of God in the... Uh, the um, in the basement, there was a, a preschool there. And uh, in the preschool, I was, I was helping out with the, uh, the cook and uh, making the, the lunches and breakfast and things like that. And so um, one day, though, I picked up a little pamphlet from Central Assembly. And in that pamphlet, it talked about uh, Jesus celebrating Hanukkah. And I thought to myself, because before then, I always knew and made little jokes, you know, about the fact that Jesus was a Jew, you know, and things like that. But the, the pamphlet just kind of brought to light something I never really grabbed hold, uh, held of before, right? And I, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm going, well, that just makes sense that he would celebrate such a holiday and and that he did do these things. And so um, that kind of kicked off my whole love for uh, Jewish culture and things like that. And so um, around these holidays, um, I wanted to talk about Hanukkah. And uh, I was, I was kind of praying about it because I was like, well, it's the holidays. And Hanukkah is around then. In fact, tonight is the eighth night uh, of Hanukkah. Tonight would be the night they would light a candle. Uh, so, and I was thinking about it, and then confirmed it. Somebody actually asked me last time I spoke, says, you should talk about Hanukkah next week, next time. And I go, okay. And so, uh, that I will. Uh, I like Hanukkah. Hanukkah's, uh, pretty cool. It starts, in fact, we all, we all start with an H, Hanukkah. It actually starts with a CH, which makes it sound, right? So, there you go. Sounds gross, but that's what it does, right? It's Hanukkah, right? So, um, 
that's how it uh, is pronounced, Hanukkah. And uh, there's tons of information about Hanukkah. Uh, I'm going to try to get certain points and hit um, some things that I think uh, really bring to light um, some of the things that uh, you see in Hanukkah and have heard of. Maybe you haven't heard of anything, and I'm going to like share all kinds of new information uh, about it. Hanukkah itself is a Jewish word that means dedication. Okay, that's just what it means, dedication. So in, in uh, Hebrew, if you were to say, I'm going to dedicate something, dedicate babies, dedicate whatever, you, it, the word is Hanukkah. Right? And so it's just, it's dedication. Uh, it's the same word used when Moses dedicated the tabernacle. It's the same word used when Solomon rededicated the temple. Okay, so Hanukkah has already been used throughout the Bible before the celebration, before the fe- feast. Uh, but because uh, this is a common uh, Jewish word, a Hebrew word. All right. But let's get into a little bit of history of, of the, the feast itself to understand what happened, how it happened, why it happened, and why they celebrate it uh, and things. And so. All this happens uh, in between the Testaments, between the Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, so everything we talk about you won't find in your Bible. Uh, but you, the best things that I've found as far as books is concerned, uh, Josephus has a lot of information about uh, Hanukkah. Josephus is a Jewish historian around the time of Jesus and, uh, and things like that. Um, so he was, he was around there, so he, he would know. Um, Josephus, uh, and then there are uh, the Maccabees, which is um, some books that were written in there, which uh, between there. Uh, so there's there's some there's some different things that I've got uh, all this information. But we'll start with Alexander the Great. Okay, Alexander the Great came out of Greece, take over around 33, 32. Um, B.C., right? And so, uh, or, yeah, B.C. Conquered most of uh, Palestine area, all this little area around in there. Uh, took over and um, were under, the uh, Israelites at that time were under Persian rule. Wasn't really a whole lot of big deal going on there. I mean, they just lived their lives. There wasn't like, you know... Um, you can't do this and you can't do that. They were just being, you know, living their normal lives and, and, uh, uh, and things like that under Persian rule. Um, the uh, Alexander who would take over and uh, start um, uh, making Greece and expanding Greece and, and the, the uh, Greek worldview uh, called Hellenism. Uh, he wasn't real ruthless about this. It wasn't like, you know, uh, be Greek or die, right? It wasn't that big of a, that kind of thing to him. See, to Alexander uh, the Great, Hellenizing someone basically meant I'm going to, uh, you know, go into the local community and attract you with it. I'm going to show you how much better it is than your worldview, Okay, I'm not going to force it on you. I'm going to show you how beautiful it is and how awesome it is and how much more of a superior idea that it is uh, to whatever it is that, 
your way of life and a way of, of your thinking. I'm going to show you that it's better and it's cooler and, it's, you know, and things like that. So uh, that was his idea and that was the way that he uh, Hellenized most of it. And, you know, people flocked to it. People came to that uh, different things because it was just this new way of thinking, a new way of, uh, of grabbing hold of ideas and, and things like that. Okay, so uh, Alexander dies, and after he dies, there was basically two groups uh, that was around the, this area of Jerusalem and things that uh, came out of his uh, conquering, right? These two groups um, known as the Ptolemies and the uh, Seleucids, I'm trying to say it right, Seleucids, something like that, Okay. All right, these Hellenic groups were more, uh, and then, and of course, throughout history of Jerusalem, if you, if you ever watch, some reason, well, we kind of know now, but for some reason in Jerusalem, whenever there's groups trying to take over lands, there's always, Jerusalem's like fighting back and forth. It's always like that one spot that everyone's, you know, they have it, and then they have it, and then they have it, and then they have it. You know, kind of deal. It's always in between everything that's going on. Okay. Well, at a certain point, is the Ptolemies that uh, Ptolemies that uh, is the group that was um, has control over Jerusalem. Okay, and they were more like Alexander. They're the ones that like I'm going to show you how awesome it is to be Hellenized. I'm going to show you how beautiful it is to have this Greek mindset, right, and this worldview. And so, uh, because of this, they brought in sports, right? They brought in the Olympic Games. They brought in uh, these different things, okay? To really understand uh, Hellenism, though, because sometimes we kind of get a different idea what Hellenism really was. It's, it's Basically, it's a worldview that says that there is not a divine being that is the center of the universe, okay? It's the source, uh, the source of truth and beauty and hope. Is rather, it's in human being is the source of the human universe. It's the human being. Okay, truth is ultimately what the human mind can understand. Okay, so if you don't understand it, it's not the truth. Okay, that's what Hellenism is all about. It's a modern example of, of humanism. Okay, uh, it says that gods are extensions of humanity. Okay, and uh, true beauty is human flesh. Okay, the true beauty of everything is you, right? You and all of your glory, right? That's what it's all about. In fact, when they brought in sports, sports were done in the nude because that was the beauty in it. That was the, you know, okay. All right, obviously that wouldn't have let... Uh, you know, some of us in, in the Olympics, but there was the, just the beauty in it. They also brought drama, theater. Right? That, was, that was introduced through Hellenism, uh, you know, so that way they, they can use acting, they can use these things to be able to show, right, or portray, okay, a, a certain mindset, uh, you know, and, and things sort of like what, you know, news does today. You know, it's, it's this idea of, of uh, you know, letting you see and view 
uh, a mindset or a worldview and, uh, and things. And also education was changed because of this. And of course, kids would flock to things like this. Sports, kids love sports, you know, and, and drama and all that kind of stuff. We love to watch things, to escape reality and, and to get into something else for a minute, you know. And so all these different things and education, right, was something that was changed and, and, and the kids flocked to it. They would, they would go to these things and, and uh, you know, it would change people. So Hellenization became something that was just changing through, you know, all these different ways. And that lasted for about 100 years like this until uh, there was a battle in Caesarea Philippi when the uh, Seleucids took over, basically. Around this time, the Seleucids took over. Uh, Antiochus uh, III at this time. Uh, when we'll get to another one here in a minute, but the Antiochus here, you know, takes over. And... Uh, and as the Seleucids, they weren't so much very, very calm about this Hellenization stuff. They weren't so much like, you know, let me just show you how awesome it is. No, they were the complete opposite. They were the kind that would come in and make you, force you to be Hellenistic, right? It was, it was just coming in and they would make laws. Because at first they would come in and they would say, okay, this is what you have to do. This is what you need to do to be Hellenistic, and they would do things crazy. They went into the temple, and they would say, uh, you know, okay, the things that you offer becomes taxes to me, and, and so that in itself would uh, cause little riots, and because of the little riots, uh, Antiochus came and said, you know what, let's just, we're going to get a little bit more mean about this, basically, and you're going to be Hellenized uh, whether it kills you, and that's what they did. They started making laws like uh, you cannot keep the Sabbath. You can't go to the uh, temple for Sabbath to worship Jesus. That's not what Hellenization is all about. You do that, it's the death penalty. If you study the Torah, it was the death penalty. Okay, And uh, all these different things. And um, circumcision. If, you, if they found out that you were circumcised, it was the death penalty. Right? And they did this in brutal ways. I mean, it was, it was crazy, um, nasty times. I'm going to try to be l- less gory as possible, but, I mean, they would, they would line kids up uh, on the street, and then they would, uh, you know, unclothe them to see. And if they were circumcised, they would pick them up and cut them in half. And uh, then they would drag the parents out. And then they would be murdered in front of everybody. And, uh, and there was things like that that was going on that, that you know, Jewish people were scared of. Things were going crazy. And uh, it, just was, it was just a bad time. A few, uh, few years, Antiochus IV passed this law that said that every Jewish person had to offer a sacrifice of a pig to the king, to himself as Zeus. Because they believed at this time that uh, Antiochus, he was kind of like a reincarnation of Zeus. He was uh, Zeus in human form, you know. And so 
they were, they were to, he had a um, big, great statue of Zeus brought to the temple, set in there, and you would have to take a pig and slaughter it and, and, uh, and put the blood all over. And, and uh, in fact, he's, he's, he, they had, um, Josephus was talking very detailed about the blood all over the Holy of Holies and all over uh, the different things that are so precious to the uh, Jewish temple and, and things. And there was blood uh, and, and innards of the pig just rubbed all over the walls and different things. I mean, it got really nasty with this whole pig sacrifice thing. All right. So they were doing this. And that was when there's a, uh, uh, they called this the abomination of uh, declaration. It's what the Jewish people uh, known this as. <clears throat> there was an old man, it was a priest named Matatathis, uh, right? More like Matthew, right? Uh, who was given a knife. Okay, now some of this I'm going to try to give a little bit of narration in, in, in what I could see, okay? Um, so if you look up some of this and you don't find any of these little details, I'm kind of throwing these in just to give a little bit of effect. All right, so don't, don't say, that didn't really happen like that. Well, okay, I like, I like to think of some of this stuff like this. But he was given a knife in the temple, and he was told. Right, there, obviously, there was a group of people who did not like what was going on. Okay, and, and uh, Matthew, old Matthew, is what the rabbis call him, is old Matthew, um, was given this light knife. He did not want to, you know, be the one that would sacrifice his pig. They would throw him, they would uh, toss him down next to the pig and they'd say, here's the knife, cut the pig. Throw the pig, sacrifice it to your king, to your God, Zeus. Matthias would say, no, I will not, this is not my God. I only sacrifice to my God and the God of, of the Israel. I'd say, well, fine. Well, we'll, we'll take you. And they would do all kinds of different things to people like this. They would take them and they would cut. There was, there's a thing talked about where they uh, cut strips along the back of them. And then they would take like a plier type thing and they would peel off the back of their backs. Just to give you a little bit of an example of how they would... Uh, you know, in this, in, in agony and pain and things like that, and obviously they would, they would kill him. And so imagine him being taken up to be uh, by, by a couple of guards and, and brought over to have this thing start happening to him, sets him down, you know, and they probably ripped off his robe to start in on him. They give this knife to another rabbi, the young, a young rabbi, a, a young priest. I give him, he stands up, he goes to sacrifice this pig obviously he's probably either already been hellenized or uh you know scared for his life or whatever he decides that i'm going to do this whatever's going on isn't worth my life maybe he goes to do this but matateus gets up somehow breaks free gets through the people and the guards runs, grabs that knife, and kills the young priest. And then kills the guards and runs. 
Kind of sounds like Moses, doesn't it? And so he runs off into the Judea mountains. And this whole thing, you know, gets around. People start hearing this talk. And it's like, well, these people are standing up to this. We don't have to take it either. And this is what lights the fire throughout the Jewish people and starts this great revolt that is well known in history uh, for the Jewish people. This is the act that starts the whole thing. It starts this massive revolt against the Cilicids. And so they fight several little battles going on. Matthias dies. His son Judah of Maccabeah, which means the hammer. Isn't that a cool name to have? Right? It's the hammer, right? Coming out. No one quite knows why they were given the hammer. There's a couple of stories uh, of why he was given the name of the hammer, but nonetheless, he's given this name, you know, because he wouldn't back down. And he fought just as um, boldly as his dad ever did. Right? So he takes over this revolt. And then they go into uh, this final battle. Now, this final battle is a scene, uh, you know, sort of like the 300. The, this final battle is, is, is Memphis taking on the United States. Okay? I mean, that, that is how, you know, Greek empire, Roman empire, and, and different things is going on at this time. And uh, so Judah being able to get as many as he had was a great thing, but it was still in all actuality, in all you know, sense of military purposes was just a dumb move. You know, if, if you think about it, if you were a military person and you go, you got how many? And you're going against who with what? Because they had tanks, all right, known as elephants, okay? They had, you know, they had uh, all kinds of forces. They had people from all over the um, area of even further away from uh, the Jewish people. I mean, they had quite a bit of people. But this battle started, and it was part of the miracle of the whole thing of being able to fight against the Cilicids and against this Greek uh, Hellenization of this army. In of itself was a miracle. They they talk, I read some things about the the uh, the fight and the battle. Um, it's pretty cool. Like things things you would see in movies, you know, where they would um, dig holes in the ground, you know, and then get in the ground and and they would cover themselves up with you know different sheets and in, in, in dirt and things like that. And as the elephants would walk by and come by, some of them probably got stepped on, but you know elephants came by, they would jump out with their spears and. Uh, pierced the rib cage of the elephants and, and things like that. So, uh, pretty cool battle and, and, um, and things. In and of course, the miracle of God allows Judah and, and uh, the Jewish people to have victory over the Cilicids. And so, this revolt allows them to come back into their town, come back into their uh, temple. Of course, they haven't been there in temple in a little while. 
And this whole thing starts, you know, with a little bit of blood and things of pigs, you know, and things. But by the time they get back in there, can you imagine the smell? The, 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 the pig blood, guts, the, the defiling of so much of their precious stuff. The things that God had appointed to them that saying this, you worship like this and you use this in this way to remember me. This means me. This means is a symbol of my love. This is a symbol of my presence. This is a symbol of, you know, uh, my comfort in you. And this is the symbol and all of it has been defiled and ruined and nasty with pigs, uh, guts and blood and. I can't imagine their hearts at this time. But the story is, is that Judah goes in and he orders people to clean it up. They clean it up. They put the bricks back together. They put the altar back together. Uh, the walls are, are put in certain ways. Of course, everything is perfect to the Jewish people. Everything has to be, because everything is a symbol. I mean, the way the walls are in the temple actually has a symbol in of itself. The curtains that separate the Holy of Holies is a symbol in of itself. The menorah that they found is a symbol in of itself. And the menorah itself is a symbol of God's presence. And they see the menorah, God's presence, laying on the ground, defiled, so they pick it up, clean it up. Now this, now this menorah is not the menorah that you think of when you think of Hanukkah. Right? The, the Hanukkah menorah has nine uh, lamp slots, right? Lights. Okay, It's eight lights on one side of, and one in the middle. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But the menorah here is, is seven, has six with one in the middle. Right, this menorah uh, is a presence, is, the, is what symbolizes the presence of God. This is the menorah that they also call the eternal flame. Because it is, is uh, well, in, actually in Moses' time it was lit at night, and then during the day it would be put out. But by the time Jesus, uh, by the time this came, it was the eternal flame, they they lit it, and it stayed lit constantly. All right? It was a symbol of God's presence, and it was extinguished. So they needed to light it. They saw it. Now we need God's presence back in here. Sometimes in life, things come into our life, and we feel destroyed, and we feel things have ruined what God has been doing in our life. And that's when we look in our life and we say, we need to clean this up. And we need to make God's presence known. That eternal flame to be known inside of our lives needs to be put together. This is their symbol. So they needed to light it. Now the story goes, now there's half of the scholars say this, this is a true story. And 
there's half the scholars that say, well, it's like a story. It's, it's something that, you know, kind of helps the Hanukkah story move along to become what it is. And, and, uh, and there is some symbolism in it and, and things like that. But um, there are some that say that this actually story didn't uh, become part of the celebration to about 100 years after uh, this event. Uh, but nevertheless, the story goes that they got the menorah, put it up, and wanted to light it. They wanted God's presence back. Okay, now during the whole raid and during the whole uh, defiling of everything, everything was, a lot of things were taken out, including the oil. Okay, so oil was taken out and, and, uh, and taken away and things, so they didn't have a whole lot of oil. In fact, the story says they had oil enough for one day. So they take the oil. They only had enough for one day. Now, what are they going to do? The story also says that uh, in order to receive more oil, it's going to take about eight days for the process to happen in order to get more oil. Okay? Uh, whether getting more from somewhere or the, or the making of it or however they do it from the olive trees and things like that or whatever. And so, they, uh, so it takes about eight days. And so they say, well, we only got enough for one day. What are we going to do? Should we, should we wait? Or should we light it now? Just because, I mean, now is the time that we need to remember. And so the, uh, also the story says that Judah was the one that says, let's do it. If God wants his presence known in this house, he will make his presence known. So he lights the menorah with that one day's supply of oil. Two days go by, three days, eight days go by, and that candle was still lit. There was a miracle. God saying, you just give me what you have. I will take care of you. I love that story. And I believe God could have done something like that. And I, and I, and I believe that this was part of something that changed the people of uh, that nation at the time. So in that, Jesus would celebrate this, celebrate this new feast of Hanukkah. In fact, they even made a new menorah to uh, celebrate and to be the symbol of this feast. And it was the nine light uh, menorah instead of traditional seven. Had eight lamps, and, and then in the center was one. Okay, the eight lamps represent the eight days of the oil. It also uh, represents uh, all kinds of other things of eight days that the oil, and then the oil that they got from God. The ninth lamp is the, the shamash which is Hebrew for servant, okay? And so the, the ninth lamp, the servant lamp, is used to take the light from God and bring it to the other eight lamps. So you have the servant lamp lighting the rest of the lamps. Now what makes this holiday really special to the Jewish people and really special 
for us as we view Jesus is another holiday. There's another holiday that happens right before. It's the seventh holiday in the seven holidays that are appointed by God. We talk about, I could talk about different holidays that God had appointed. Hanukkah is not one of them. Okay, Purim is not one of them. But there are seven holidays that the Jewish people celebrate that are God, that said, God said, this I want you to celebrate. Okay, like the um, Pentecost, right? Different things like that. And one of them is called Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot is the Feast of Tents, however you want to word it. It kind of all means the same thing there. Okay, it's the Feast of Tents, Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, this happens right before Hanukkah. This is a celebrate of the wandering in the desert and how God uh, gifted them with the promised land. Okay, and this isn't necessarily in the Bible uh, per se as far as when God uh, directed them, but it's also the time that they celebrate the fall rain. Okay, the new, new season of the fall rain. Okay, in fact, Solomon dedicated the temple on Sukkot and had an eight-day celebration. The year of the revolt, they had missed this celebration. So, because they missed this celebration, they decided to go ahead during this time that they uh, dedicated the temple, they celebrated Sukkot. Because they wanted to uh, remember how God had brought them out of something and into a promised land. So they went ahead and celebrated that. They went ahead and celebrated the eight days. Okay. Now here's the thing about uh, the Jewish culture with Sukkot and Hanukkah. It kind of gets intermingled. Okay. There's, there's some things in, in what goes on between Sukkot. Sometimes it's celebrated in, in Hanukkah, and, and things that are in Hanukkah is celebrated also in Sukkot. And, and they kind of get intermingled and, and, and things like that to where, um, you know, uh, maybe, maybe things about it gets changed. It's almost like Christmas and Thanksgiving, okay? You could go to uh, visit family on, on Christmas and Thanksgiving. You can eat a turkey on Christmas and or Thanksgiving. And, and so there's, there's some different things that you celebrate on both that, you know, kind of has uh, different meanings maybe or different symbolism behind it. And this is all because they missed Sukkot and they wanted to celebrate it. Okay, and there's two things that I want to point out and talk about that is in Sukkot that actually got uh, also moved into Hanukkah. One... There is the waving of the palm branches and singing a part of what they call the halah, right? And in that part of the halah, they sing uh, this part, which is known as the, the Hashanah, which is Hosanna, which means save us, save us, right? We've all heard this part before in a, in a different story. But as far as Sukkot goes, the things that they say is they save us, save us, right, for the fall rain. It's not what you would think of. It wasn't until Hanukkah took over and started doing some of the same celebrations that they would sing the halah 
and they would do Hosanna. It wasn't until then that this more political thing started coming out of it. The waving of the palm branches became more political, became more of, you know, give us another Maccabee, give us another Judah to save us from the Romans. You helped us out from the Greeks, save us from the Romans. Save us, save us, as they would do this. And so during in between there, they, they would, um, both of them would get, you know, uh, pushed together and, and celebrated in different ways. So in, in Sukkot, it was save us, save us from the fall rain, for the fall rain, save us, save us in Hanukkah for another Judah. The other thing is, is uh, there are four Hanukkah menorahs in the temple. Even now, you, you, can, you can go see them. If, if I were to show you a map of the temple, okay, you got several different courts. Okay, you got the outer court, there's the women's court, and then you got the the, the Israel court on the inside and, and different things. And then on the inside there in the corner of it, right before you come out of the gate to uh, the women's court, okay, there are four major huge menorahs. Now, these are Hanukkah menorahs, okay, that are lit on the last day of Sukkot, okay? So they would have this uh, big festival of Sukkot, this big festival of... Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, Dif- all kinds of things were going on uh, during this thing. One of the most, uh, one of the coolest things that would happen is the pouring of the water down the little uh, chute, right? And uh, this was all about the fall rain okay, that they would pour down. And, uh, and so they would pour that down, things would happen, and then they would light these four menorahs around on the last day of Sukkot. They would light these four menorahs, 86 feet high is how big they are. People would sing. There were, there, there's, an, there's this choir of thousands that would sing, Levite uh, choir, that would sing. And then, of course, millions. Josephus talks about when he was there at a celebration, talks about... He, he said almost two million people that were gathered, and they were all singing this halah uh, song that they have. Within that is where they talk about save us, save us. And that's when they pour down the, the, the water, and they would talk about the save us from the fall rain. And then they would light this menorah. And Josephus talks about how it would lit up all of Jerusalem because of how big it is and how bright the menorahs would go. Now, they didn't have street lights. You would talk about not a house was not lit from these menorahs. You can hear the singing for miles, he would talk about. Celebration, the, the, um, the festivities were so grand and so uh, magnificent. The menorah was lit by the minisha, which is the servant. Uh, or, sorry, the Shamash was the servant. The, the Mishnah, which is a, uh, some writings that the Jewish people has, says that every house was, uh, was lit up. In those two things, 
of Sukkot, I want to point out a couple things that happened with Jesus. John 7 gives a little story of Jesus going into Jerusalem and how he was there during the Feast of Tabernacles and how he would uh, go through the, the different areas of the city and, and, and things that were going on. And by, I think it's 32 or 37, they would talk about how uh, the water would be poured. And it was there when Jesus says, I am the living water. So they're there celebrating Sukkot, celebrating the fall rain and celebrating being uh, delivered out of the desert into the promised land, pouring the water, and he lets the people know, I am the living water. Now, John 8 starts with, the, uh, with a, a, a little, little tiny story. Some even say it wasn't even uh, in old manuscripts and things like that. But then right after that little piece that got added you know, into the Bible later, right after that little piece, the very next thing Jesus says after I am the, light of, or, uh, I am the living water, he says, I am the light of the world. Which kind of is a cool little thing for me to realize that there was the water being poured and then the manure is being lit. And so we believe that that was the, around the time that the manure is being lit because you got a little bit more of a thing going on. And then John 10 talks about actually him being at the dedication of Jerusalem. John 10, actually says, Then came the feast of dedication, which dedication means Hanukkah and Jerusalem, and it was winter. So you have John 7 who talks about them going into Sukkot. Later in John 7, he is the living water. John 10, he's at the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah. And somewhere in between there is him saying, I am the light of the world. And I like to picture him being there when they're lighting these menorahs can picture them, the crowds all gathering, the millions, Josephus says, gathering around to see the menorah. Thousands getting ready to sing. Everyone being in awe of what's going on at this moment. And they get up and they take the servant light. Jesus sees the servant light. Being lit. I like to picture Jesus watching the servant light being lit, being held up to move over to light the first light. Before he before they would light the first light, I'd like to picture Jesus there standing there. I am the light of the world. What she's saying to everyone, I am the light of the world. I am the servant light. 
I am the light that comes down from God. I am the light that lights the other lights. I am the light of the world. Which allows you to understand as he, the one has, is he the light of your world? Is he the light that has lit the light in you? That's who Jesus is. See, the light represents, the first light represents the servant light as Jesus. The first light, which is lit on the menorah, all the way to the left, because in Hebrew everything's from... Uh, <clears throat> done from right to left, right? Yeah, right to left, yeah. So in Hebrew, everything's done from right to left. So the servant light would be like the first light on the right of the menorah. And that first light represents the miracle of the nature. All right, they found that the miracle, which is kind of crazy to me because the miracle happened the eighth day to me. They found one day, so the day that they lit it up didn't seem like so much of a miracle. But, it, but it's the miracle light because it's that one light that lasts the eight days. The second light focuses on right values. See, the Greeks, were, they came in, stepped in, in immorality. Right? Introduced athletics. And perfection of the human body above all else. While the Torah does not encourage us to um, appreciate our uh, material blessings. We view them through the different lens. Uh, we take care of our physical needs in order to enable us to reach our higher ultimate goal of perfection. Our soul and our character. The third light is the rededication, the renewed commitment. The temple when the Maccabees regained control of Jerusalem from the Greeks. See, Hanukkah is the time that we dedicated ourselves to our beliefs. It's the time that we rededicate ourselves to our values, to our goals, to our passions. The fourth light represents the strength from God. In this holy temple, the menorah, as we know, had the seven branches. In fact, these seven lights stem from the uh, one source that represents each of us draws our strength from one source, God. God is the source of our strength. And when we recognize this, we merit his salvation. The fifth light spreads the light of Torah to others. The sixth light celebrates with enthusiasm. Since the Jews took the holy temple service of guarantee, 
the service for granted. God deprived them of the opportunity to serve. The sons of Matthew rectified the sin of laziness by fighting back against the Greeks and rededicating themselves to the temple service. It's the six is kind of that boldness, that chutzpah. When God came to their aid, the seven, God's love for his people. And eight, allowing the word to grow strong every day. Allowing it to continue in your heart every day. And I appreciate what happened. One of the coolest things to, to remember this story is the revolt and the, and, the, and the miracle that God did on that battle because it's then when they listened to God and they obeyed God. We, we always talk about this, that when you obey God, blessings come. And these Jewish people obeyed God at this time and the blessing came. And I like to remember Hanukkah, not just because it was something that Jesus celebrated, but it was also something that allowed Jesus to come to pass. If it wasn't for their obedience, who knows what could have happened. If they did not obey and they said, well, you know what, that, that army is just way too big. Look at all those elephants. I'm turning around. I'm done. There's no telling what could happen. Yes, God's will is in control. But I appreciate these people being obedient to God to allow Christmas and what we celebrate also to come to pass. Allow Jesus to come forth. So tonight I wanted to just kind of give you a little insight of Hanukkah, give you a little insight about what happened, but to also recognize, search your own heart as the temple, because we are the temple of God. And is your light shining? Has God lit a light in you to shine to all men? Because remember, this, this news about Jesus, the angel said to the shepherds, the, the good news is for all men. And because it's for all men, it's up to us to shine that light to all men. When I think of Hanukkah, my, the thing I remember is the whole lights of being weird. We're Jesus to these people, to this community, to this city, to this state. As Jesus lit a light in us, we are to be the light. As Jesus lit a light in you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for...